Well, good morning, Gospel City Church. Man, we got some energetic folks this morning. That just makes my heart happy. If you have your Bible, hold it up and find your way with one hand. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Find your way to Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is where we're going to be this morning as we open up God's Word. My name is Tyler Holder, and I am our pastor of men's and young adult discipleship, and I am excited to be walking with you through this beautiful psalm this morning. Psalm 67. I hope you found your way there. This is what the word of the Lord says. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is God's word for us this morning. The date was August 9th, just a few days ago, in the year 1788. I know what you're thinking, a year that you keep marked on your calendar. A baby boy was born in Malden, Massachusetts to proud parents. His father was a pastor at a church. This young boy would astound his teachers, confound his peers, perplex his parents, and would be destined to leave a legacy for God's kingdom in countries around the world. This young boy's name was Adoniram Judson. By the age of 10, he had an aptitude for Latin and Greek. By his early teen years, he was fluent in navigation. By 16, he enrolls in Brown University. And by the age of 19, he graduates as valedictorian of his class. Adoniram, however, began to doubt faith while he was at Brown. He fell in with a crowd of deists, and after university, he confesses his lack of faith to his family. He takes a portion of his inheritance and goes off to New York City to travel with a group of theater folk. As he does, he indulges in all of the sinful tendencies that a young 20-year-old could in the early, in the early 19th century. And yet, as he lived this vagabond life, he acknowledges the disgust that he has with such living. In God's providence, Judson meets a pious young man who stuns him by being so firm in his Christian convictions. This, as Judson would later recollect, was the beginning of God's drawing his wayward heart to himself. As Adoniram is traveling back from visiting this young man, he stops in a small town and stays in a small inn. And he gets the only room left for the evening. Now the innkeeper falls all over himself apologizing because the man in the room next door is sick and on the verge of death. And all night, 
As Adoniram tries to sleep, he hears the death groans of the man next door. And he begins to ask himself, am I ready to face death like this man might do tonight? So he wakes up in the morning, he checks out of the inn, and he makes an inquiry. He asks the innkeeper, what happened to the man next door? He says, the man had died. Judson, taken aback, says, what was the man's name? The man's name was Jacob Eames, the same man that Judson befriended at Brown that introduced him to deism and caused him to doubt his faith. Judson's biographer makes this statement about that night. That hell should open in that country inn and snatch Jacob Eames, his dearest friend and guide, from the next bed. This could not, simply could not, be pure coincidence. See, these events in Adoniram's life, they put him on a trajectory of faith. Eventually, Judson attends and enrolls in Andover Seminary, where on December 2nd, 1802, he makes a solemn dedication of himself to God. That dedication would carry him around the world and continue to have an impact and leave a legacy that's felt today. In 1809, Judson's trajectory finds a target when he hears a sermon entitled, The Star in the East which shared how the gospel was spreading throughout India. His heart is stoked. He begins to consume everything available to him about India. And he ultimately stumbles upon a work entitled An Account of an Embassy to the Kingdom of Ava. That work turns his heart's fire towards Burma, now Myanmar. By 1810, he's assured that the Lord's calling him to Burma, but no one is willing to send him. Now understand, Burma is considered at this point in history a missionary wasteland. There is no enduring evangelistic presence, there are no healthy churches, and there are no native Christians from which to begin an indigenous missionary movement. And yet, undaunted by those obstacles, he sets his face towards Burma. And in a matter of two years, he's found a missionary board to send him finances for his journey and a ship to take him and his new wife to India. So Adoniram and Nancy, his wife, get on board. They exchange the comforts of New England, the proximity to their families, and what would most assuredly be a life of relative ease in New England. And they exchange it for the unknown of life in the Far East. Adoniram has seen the Lord's heart for the nations through his word. He had seen God's desires for the nations. He had experienced God's gracious blessing through salvation. And he desired to proclaim that message to the world. Judson would eventually make it to Burma where he would spend almost 40 years laboring amongst the people who would shun him, who would imprison him, who would deny him. He would labor in a land where he would lose two wives and multiple children. And yet, the burden that God placed upon his heart for the Burmese people drove him forward. You might be asking yourself, maybe, what was the fruit of such a life? Well, the fruit of Adoniram Judson's life is simple. Adoniram created the very first Burmese dictionary that's still used today. 
He translated both the Old and the New Testaments into Burmese for the people of Burma. And he established a church with indigenous missionaries. His first convert coming decades after he arrives. By the time he dies, after almost 40 years, there was hundreds upon hundreds of people that claimed Jesus as Savior. And the church had been established. In fact, today, in Myanmar... There are over 3,700 congregations that are able to trace their origins back to this man's labor of love. What many saw as a wasteland, Judson saw as wonderful. And let me ask you, what would cause a young man to do such a thing? What would cause a a young married couple to exchange the comforts of home, the comforts of family, what would most likely be a life of ease to pursue a nation that he had never been to, to pursue a people who had never been seen on the shores of his country? Could it be? Could it be that Adoniram Judson understood God's heart for the nations, reading passages like Matthew 24, which declare that the end will come after the world hears Or Matthew 28, which declares that we, as faithful disciples, should go proclaiming the gospel message. Or Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 2, or Romans chapter 8, or Romans chapter 11, or Revelation chapter 7, which pictures the throngs of the nations bowing in worship to God. Could Judson have seen God's heart for the nations in passages such as that? I present that he could. Could he have seen God's heart for the nations in passages like Genesis 12 and Genesis 17? Or 1 Kings chapter 8 or Isaiah 56 or Malachi chapter 1? You see, what Judson understood and what I hope we will understand today is that God's heart, God's heart has always been for the nations. From the Old Testament to the New. And when we look at lives of faithful followers of Jesus from years gone by, it's easy for us to think that they are the exception, not the rule. And the reality is in God's economy, what Judson does is the rule, not the exception. Give all to follow Jesus. Yes. Wherever you will go. Wherever you will send me, whatever you ask me to do, yes, God, absolutely. God's heart from Genesis to Revelation is that the peoples would come to know him. And today, as we come to Psalm 67 and as we unpack these few verses this morning, what I hope we see is simply this, that God's blessings have always been intended to draw the nations to himself. That God's blessings have always been intended to draw the nations to himself. As we drive towards that singular point today, we'll look at three different ways this is true in our psalm. We'll see God's care for his people, God's desires for the nations, and our role in God's plan. Are we ready? Praise Jesus. Let's go. Psalm 67, verse 1, brings us to our first point. We see God's care for his people. Notice what David says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. 
David begins Psalm 67 by citing the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6. It's a blessing that the hearers of the psalm would have immediately understood. Their minds would have immediately run back to Numbers chapter 6, much like yours did when we read it this morning. David, however, changes the original you to us here in Psalm 67. The blessing that God promises and bestows upon Aaron is now extended to be over the people of God. And as God has extended this to you and to me, we see that the promise he gives, the care he gives, is to be gracious to us, is to bless us, and is to make his face to shine upon us. And just pause for a moment and let that sink in. That if you are in Christ, if you are a part of the family of God, then God extends to you his gracious blessing of his presence. His grace has been extended to you each and every day. His blessing has been extended to you each and every day. And his face has shone upon you each and every day. When David here in Psalm 67 declares that may God be gracious to us, the word that he uses there for gracious means to show favor, to show gracious kindness. Now, churches, let me ask you, what graciousness has God extended to you this week? What favor has God extended to you this week? In Christ, could it be that God's gracious kindness is what enables you to call him Father? Could God's gracious kindness to you daily be encountered in his word and in prayer and in the fellowship of believers? Could God's gracious kindness to you be extended each and every day as you step foot out of your door and you see your neighbors and your co-workers and strangers walking dogs down your street and that's the context that God has given you to open your mouth to proclaim his gracious blessing? Or could God's gracious kindness this past week have been extended to you as you stepped foot back into school for the first time. Y'all remember that day, right? How many of you had the first day of school pictures this week where you held the sign in front of your door and you tried to smile? No? Just me? Okay, that's fine. I didn't even go to school, and I'm thinking about it. Still gives me tremors. Or could God's gracious kindness be extended to you as you move into a dorm and reconnect with friends and new roommates? Could his gracious kindness be extended to you as you receive a clean bill of health? Or could his gracious kindness be extended to you as you wake up each morning to a world that you haven't spun, that you didn't keep in orbit, to a sun you didn't cause to rise? Do you see, church, that God's gracious kindness is extended to us each and every day. The mere fact that you're alive and your heart is beating and you're in this space today is because of God's gracious kindness. God has been gracious to you as a disciple of his, but God has also extended his blessing to you. Notice he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Don't you love the word blessing? I just, I just love it. I love how often we use it, right? Like, just consider, you sneeze, like projecting mucus from your face at a high velocity, and the response automatically from three aisles over at Meyer, God bless you, right? No? That's not, okay. Or you hit Silver Beach that one last time, and all the kids are in school, and it's just yours, and you go, oh, 
Man, what a blessing. The water's still 50 degrees, but what a blessing. Or you sit down in the morning with a micro-roasted Ethiopian guji that you hand ground, and you heated that water to 214 degrees Fahrenheit, and you let it bloom, and you just let the aromatic, just, it just hits you, and you, you smell it, and you keep going, and you can't, nobody, like three of us know what I'm talking about right now, right? It's coffee. And then as you finish, you, you see in the circular kind of pattern, and then you just fall, and then you take that cup, and you sit down before the kids are awake, before the dog's moved, and you, and you, and you take that sip, and you go, oh, what a blessing. No? That's not you? Okay. It's fine. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me, right? We use the word blessing all the time for the most random of things. And I want us here in Psalm 67 to to understand what God means when he says bless or blessing. See, wherever we see God extending his blessing to his people in Scripture, we must reframe how we consider it. Warren Wearsby, on commenting on this psalm, he gives a wonderful definition of blessing. He says, a blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, helps his people, and through them reaches out to help others who will glorify his name. Notice that in that understanding of blessing, God is the initiator. God is the giver. He is is the object, and our role is just to reflect it to the others that need to know him as well. How different is that definition than what we normally use? And here in Psalm 67, what David is doing, he's asking God to bless us, to give a gift to his people that glorifies his name and reaches out to help others who will glorify his name as well. Church, God has been gracious to you, but God has also blessed you. He has also blessed you. How has God blessed you? In God's gracious dealings with you, his people, how has he blessed you? And what has he extended to you so that you might glorify his name by sharing it with others? See, the beauty of what God does when he blesses us is that he doesn't bless us just to become a tepid pool that keeps it forever. When God is gracious to us and when God blesses us, his desire is that we would take that gracious blessing and then turn it to those that need to know who he is and what he has done. God's desire is for his people to take his gracious blessing and share it with others. And when we consider blessing in this frame, it changes completely how we view the comings and goings of our lives. So God has been gracious to us. This is his care for us. God has blessed us. But notice the last statement here that David makes. That God would be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. David is building this threefold description of how God cares for his people here. He's gracious to them. He extends a blessing to them and he promises his presence will be with his people. 
please don't miss this, that part of God's care for his people is the promise of his presence. Do you remember the most famous person in biblical history that God resided with? Whose presence was so imminent upon him that his face shone? Do you know the promise of God's presence with you? How many of you this week need a reminder that God is present in your life? That you come through these doors carrying upon your shoulders the burdens of the world, the burdens of your family weighed down by your weak. And you just need a simple reminder that God's face is shining towards you. Hard first week in seventh grade? God's present with you. In tough situations at work, God's present with you. Rebellious children that are spurring the Lord and pursuing sinful pleasure, God's present with you. Hear me, church. God's presence is promised to be with his people. And his presence strengthens us in the midst of difficulty. It doesn't remove the difficulty. And here's my hope for you today. My hope for you today, if you've come in here carrying with you the burdens of this week, the burdens of life, my hope is that you would be reminded that through faith in Christ, through the beauty of the gospel, God's gracious kindness has been extended to you by the promise of his presence with you. God cares for you. God sees you. God knows you. His care is extended through his grace, his blessing, and the promise of his presence. So I hope, I hope this week that as you gather in small groups with one another that you would recollect and reflect how God has cared for you. Take time this week with other believers to simply ask the question, how has God's gracious kindness been shown to me? How has his presence helped me carry on? God's gracious blessing and presence are extended to his children. God cares for you. He's with you. And as children of his, we should relish in that. We should rest in that. And we should ask the question, why? Why would God extend gracious kindness through his presence to us? That question brings us to point number two, where we see God's desires for the nations. Notice how the psalm progresses. May God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear his name. David's progression here is profound. Why does God care and treat his children this way? 
He does it because he desires that the nations who are far from him may come to know him. That's why he does it. He extends gracious blessings to his people so that they in turn could share that with the nations. So that the nations might enter into a redeemed right relationship with their creator. God's care for his people, it finds a fourfold purpose in God's desires for the nations. God desires to be known by the nations. God desires to be praised in the nations. God desires to be enjoyed by the nations. And God desires to be feared in the nations. This is what God desires for the nations. And let's look at each one of those in kind. First, God desires to be known by the nations. Notice verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. See, the immediate response to God's people sharing his gracious blessing of God's presence is that the nations would come to know your way on the earth and your saving power. Literally, what David is desiring and asking here is that the nations would possess the knowledge of God's course of conduct. That the nations would possess and be aware of God's path, his road to life. I mean, God's heart beats with an intimate desire for the peoples of the earth. God desires to be known amongst the nations. Do you know the difference between knowing about and knowing? Like, I know about President Biden. I don't actually know President Biden. Like, I know about Coach Freeman. I don't actually know Coach Freeman. I know about French cuisine. They make great fries. If you're French, I'm so sorry if you're French. But I don't actually know anything about French cuisine, right? You see, what, what God desires here is not that the nations would know about him. Mm -mm. He desires that they would K-N-O-W, all caps, underline, bold, italicized, size 38 font them. That's his desire. God desires that the nations would know him. And that desire finds its zenith when he sends his son to redeem humanity. You know that, right? Like David here in Psalm 67 is just casting a foreshadow in what will come. Because God's plan has always been that the nations would know him. And they find, it's, they find their knowledge of God through the life of Christ. And when God sent his son to the world, he sent his son to the world that the world might know and realize this, that God desires to know you because you are a part of the nations. And the reason why you're here today is because somebody opened their mouth to declare to you God's gracious blessing of his presence and you came to understand who he is through faith in Christ. And in order for the nations to know God, they need to know what the gospel is. That God in his holiness cannot stand to be with man in our sinfulness. That ever since we broke the covenant with God at Eden and we broke and sin entered into the world, we have been marred by sin, separated from him. And the nations have been rebelling against him ever since. And yet, 
God, in his gracious kindness, sends his son to be the emissary to bring back in right relationship the nations to him. That through faith in Christ's atoning work on the cross, bearing the sin that you and I rightly deserve to bear, that in in our placing our faith in Christ and the completed work of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we too can come to know God's gracious blessing of his presence if we would but repent and place our faith in Christ alone. Realize God's desire to know the nations are most beautif- is most beautifully seen in his sending of his son. God desires to know you. God desires to know you. Do you desire to know him? God desires to be praised in the nations. Notice verse three. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This singular statement, which is repeated twice in our psalm, finds its companion in Revelation chapter 15 with the song of the Lamb, where all who have conquered the beast proclaim the praises of God on high. Do you realize that God's choral arrangement includes Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women, rich and poor. In God's choir, the nations are represented. And I can tell you how beautiful it is to hear the nations sing praises to God. When you gather with men and women from Asia and Africa and Europe and South America and you hear them proclaim the beauty and praise of God in their own language, it is beautiful. God desires to be known by the the nations. God desires to be praised in the nations. God desires to be enjoyed by the nations. Notice verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The word here in verse 4, glad, it means to rejoice or to express great joy. Let me ask, why would the nations do that? Why would they express great joy in this moment in Psalm 67? I I would present to you that, that they would express great joy because as they have come to know who he is, And as they have come to experience his gracious blessing of being with them, what they realize is that God can exercise judgment with equity, literally with uprightness. And as he judges the nations, those who are in Christ rejoice and enjoy him evermore. God wants to be enjoyed by his people. Do you enjoy him like, is, is that an adjective you'd use to describe your relationship with God? Like, will you just sit back again with that cup of coffee in the morning and you just take that sip and you go, man, that's a blessing, but man, I just really enjoy God. Do you enjoy him or do you tolerate him? Could your heart resound with the nations here in Psalm 67? Or would your heart sing another song? Oh, church, that we would enjoy God. 
that we would see how gracious he is, that we would experience his loving kindness and his justice, that we would seek that in our lives, in our contexts, and around the world, that we would describe our relationship with him as one of enjoyment. Lastly, God's desires for the nation just to be feared in the nations. How many of you like to be afraid? Okay, no, no hands. Just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page, okay? So, like, think through the last time you were really scared. Like, like maybe you're walking through a, a hotel and somebody jumps out from behind a wall and just scares you really good, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you're just, I don't know, you're getting something out of your car and somebody kind of jumps you with air horns and silly string. No? Okay. Or maybe, maybe somebody just says, boo, and I didn't get anybody. That's a shame. I was really hoping that somebody would jump right there, right? When you think of that type of fear, I want you to know that's not the type of fear that's in view here in Psalm 67. When here in verses 6 and 7, when it says that the ends of the earth may fear him, what David has in mind is not a frightening, like, saw type of frightening or, or some fear, fearful kind of cowering type of frightening. The word here in Psalm 67 for fear means awe or, or to be hallowed. What David's saying is, is that as the nations enjoy God, as they praise him, as they know him, then he will be hallowed. They will be in awe of who he is. Psalm 67, the nations would be in awe of God. Here in context, when they would see God's bountiful harvest that he gave his people. That's what David has in view here when he says the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. As God blessed Israel physically through the harvest, how much more has God blessed us, his people, today? And that gracious blessing which he bestows upon us should cause the nations, should cause you to be in awe of who he is. You should enjoy God, yes, but you should be in awe of who he is. God desires to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared amongst the nations and amongst his people, which leads us to our final point, our role in God's plan. See, David's progression in Psalm 67 is clear. God cares for his people, his gracious blessing of his presence. God has a desire that the nations would know him, not just know about him, but to know him, which leads God's people to participate with God in making the nations glad in God through sharing God's gracious blessing with them. Realize, church, God has invited you to take part in his plan. God has invited you. He's, he's given you the opportunity to take part with him in experiencing the redemption of the nations. He has invited you to help fulfill his desires. It's not because he's narcissistic. It's not because he can, he's an egotistical maniac. It's because he is the gracious giver of blessing so that we might be reconciled and live in his presence. And he's declaring to us to go and make the nations glad by sharing this beauty with them. Our role in God's plan, super simple. You ready? Recount. 
the grace, blessing, and presence of God in your life, in your context. That's it. Your role in God's plan, simply recount the grace and blessing and presence of God in your life, in your context. Do you realize that you're God's best plan for the redemption of your family, for the redemption of your neighbors, for the redemption of your coworkers? And should God burden your heart to leave the nations that are here, to go to a nation somewhere else and just put your yes on the table and recount God's gracious blessing of his presence where you are in your context. Church, that we would catch vision of the beauty of the nations coming to know him and simply recount his gracious blessing of his presence to them. That's your role in God's plan. Charles Spurgeon made this statement about Psalm 67. He said, As showers which first fall upon the hills afterwards run down in streams into the valleys, so the blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. We are blessed for the sake of others as well as ourselves. God deals in a way of mercy with his saints, and then they make that way known far and wide. And the Lord's name is made famous in the earth. God has a set way and method of dealing out mercy to men. And it is the duty and privilege of a revived church to make that way to be everywhere known. Understand, as we land the plane here this morning, as a disciple of Jesus, you are blessed for the sake of others. Make that known to others. Homeschooling mother, leverage the short attention span you have with your kids and make him known. High school athlete, use your ability and influence to make God known. Young adult who's figuring out life, use your time, talent, and treasure to just simply make him known in your contexts. Michiana professionals, oh, that you would work diligently as unto the Lord and you would make him known. Snowbirds, yeah, you're there. We know it. Hey, don't waste the life that God has given you. Make him known here and make him known wherever there might be. May God and his gracious blessing of his presence spur us to simply open our mouths and recount that so that the nations would know. He's given a blessing for the nations, every people group, every tongue, every tribe, every neighborhood, every person, and the blessing finds its manifestation in you if you are a disciple of his. So may we continue to be a city within a city that desires the redemption of the city. From student to senior adult, make God known everywhere. Pray with me. Father, thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, we see that your heart, your plan has always been that the nations would know. And so, Father, I pray that as faithful disciples gather here today, 
that this week we would be challenged to reflect and recollect the gracious blessing of your presence. Help us to do that in our contexts. Help us, Lord, to open our mouths to our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. And Lord, I ask that if your spirit is drawing, if your spirit is moving, and if it's calling others elsewhere, then Lord, may we put our yes on the table for you. May we leave all to follow you and make you known because you are the only one that can redeem the nations. We love you, Father. Amen.